celestial shore You can just get me here, all right? So I'll try that again. Good evening, everyone. Boy, that's, uh, that's good. Really appreciate our music tonight. Quite a variety. That's, uh, that's great. It's wonderful to be able to praise the Lord in different ways. I'm also thankful for the way in which uh, people... Uh, listen to the message and apply it in witty ways. This morning I spoke on honoring one another, preferring one another. And uh, as I left, I said to David Herb, I said, have a good day. He said, you have a better day. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty quick, pretty good. All right, so uh, a unique way of thinking about how to honor others. So come up with your own way of how to Honor others. Tonight we are in Matthew chapter 25, looking at the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, probably a pretty familiar parable to you, and one that is quite uh, straightforward. As I begin here, I say that the Lord's return may be sooner or later than we anticipate. We must be prepared in either event. In the preceding parable, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago now, the wicked servant was taken by surprise because his master returned earlier than the servant anticipated, Matthew 24, 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, 
and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. And so we emphasized in that particular uh, parable that the steward or servant thought that the Lord was not going to come for a long time, and uh, so he became slack, and as a result, uh, the Lord came in a time that he was not looking for, a time that he was not prepared. And the parable of the virgins, the bridegroom's return, is going to be later than the, fool, uh, than the foolish virgins anticipated. Matthew 25, 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So both of these are about delays. But in the preceding parable, the thought was that he's delayed, he's not coming for a long time, and he came. In this instance, they were thinking that he was going to come right away, but it turns out that he was delayed. So the parables, as we look at the Lord's return, have two emphases. And that is that he may come far more quickly than what we anticipate. And on the other hand, it may be a lot longer than what we anticipate, and we need to be prepared either way. And as we think about the theological positions concerning the Lord's return, uh, we see that tension. That tension. Uh, is it going to come quickly, or is it going to be for a longer period of time? The thought is, though we do not know when the Lord is going to return, we need to be prepared when he comes sooner than anticipated or later than we had anticipated. The theme is we are to be prepared for the Lord's return even if it takes longer than we had thought. That's the theme of this particular parable. Key verse is Matthew 25, 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. What I'm going to do here, and as you see, there's no outline. I'm just going to work our way through this parable, verse by verse, making uh, it uh, even more clear, I hope, than what uh, it appears. Although, as I say, it is a very straightforward parable, and then simply make a few applications at the end. So the wise are prepared for the Lord's return, even if that return is not for a long time. The parable unfolded. The kingdom of heaven is like the story of the virgins and what happens to them. Matthew 25, 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. All ten women went out to meet the bridegroom. Uh, according to Matthew 25, verse 1. Like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So there's nothing distinguishing in that particular fact all had the same view in mind. All ten women took lamps with them to meet the bridegroom. Matthew 25, 1, who took their lamps. The ten can be divided into two equal groups of five. One group was wise, one group was foolish. Matthew 25, 2, five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. The foolish virgins took lamps, but no oil. In modern parlance, they took flashlights, but no batteries or extra batteries. Matthew 25, verse 2. Five of them were, uh, excuse me, uh, Matthew 25, 3. 
For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. The wise virgins took oil along with their lamps, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Okay, So there it appears that it's additional oil. They would have had the oil that was in the lamp, and they would have had the oil that was in addition. Now that's the extra batteries. Idea being that it's a long time before the bridegroom comes. Both groups did what could be expected in that they became drowsy and fell asleep. In this particular parable, going to sleep has no negative connotation. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Now an aside. In other instances, to be drowsy or to fall asleep has a negative connotation. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Mark 13, 35. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Mark 13, 36. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 and 6. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So as you look at those admonitions to be awake, I make this statement. Certainly the admonition is not that Christians are never to literally fall asleep. We are not to be a people that never close our eyes. It's obviously talking about sleep in a figurative sense. What I'm pointing out to you is that in our parable, there's nothing wrong with them going to sleep. You can't stay up 24 hours a day. What distinguishes them is not their having fallen asleep. What distinguishes them is their having not taken oil. With that observation, let me just then make a statement about parables. Parables need to be exegeted in a very careful manner. I started that sentence differently than I thought. I had to think through how to get through that sentence. But what we need to keep in mind is that the parables are unique. And we have to be careful as we interpret those genres. There are a couple of common mistakes. One common mistake is that when a particular element of a parable means something, uh, and we are told what it means, some of the parables are interpreted for us by Jesus. And he tells us what that means. Just because it means that in that particular parable doesn't mean that it always means that in every parable. All right? These parables are symbolic in nature. But the symbols do not carry from one parable to another parable to another parable to another parable. So we just have to always look within the parable itself to find out what it means. And in this particular instance, as we look at this parable, we find out that what distinguishes the wise and the foolish is not their having gone to sleep. What distinguishes the wise and the foolish is their having not taken extra oil. Okay? And we have to do that with 
every single parable. Look at the distinctiveness of that parable. Issue number two. When parables are not interpreted for us, we have to be extremely careful then as to what meanings we give to the elements of those parables. Uh, A parable is intended to convey one main thought. They are illustrative of a singular point. And so we need to look for that point as we work through the parable. Back to the parable. In the middle of the night, the bridegroom came. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Okay. The point is he came at a time that was unexpected. We are not to learn from this parable, for example, that he's going to come at midnight. That now we have discovered from the word of God that when Jesus returns, it's going to be at 12 o'clock. So set your alarm clock for 12, and if the Lord hasn't come, okay, you can go back to sleep, and you're, you're, you're set for another 24 hours. Again, that would be a misuse of this parable. Again, we're not looking at every single detail to convey a particular truth. It's a story. It's a narrative that's given to make a common sense story out of which we are to learn one primary lesson. So moving on. Each of the ten got up and sought to light their lamps to go out and meet the bridegroom. Matthew 25, 7. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. That is, they moved the wick up to make a brighter flame uh, so that they could see the foolish... That is, those who are unprepared, not having enough oil, asked the wise, that is, those who did have enough oil, to give them some of their oil. Matthew 25, 8. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. However, the wise did not have enough to share. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealer's and buy for yourselves. The foolish leave to buy oil and miss the bridegroom's coming and the entrance into the marriage feast. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Later, the foolish return and seek entrance in the marriage feast. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Open to us. But the Lord refused them entrance because he did not know them. That is, they were not born again. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. That is a key element to understanding this parable. This parable of the foolish are people who do not know the Lord. People who are not born again. Matthew seven twenty one and following. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
the wise were prepared for the possibility that the bridegroom's coming might take a while. They took extra oil. The application of the parable is a call to preparedness since we do not know when he will return. Matthew 25, 13 is the concluding statement. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour. The thought is we need to be prepared. Prepared if he comes tomorrow. Prepared if he doesn't come for many, many days, weeks, years. In either case, we ought to be prepared for the Lord's return. And in this particular parable, the preparedness is knowing the Lord as our Savior. The foolish he did not know. The wise entered in because he knew them. So we prepare ourselves for the Lord's return by knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if we know him as our Savior, we will continue on, we will persevere in our faith, we will remain faithful to him until he comes. Application number one. We are not to look for any particular meaning of the lamps or the oil. You know, I I read a bunch of commentaries, and they're all over the place as to what the oil represents, what the lamp represents, and there's all kinds of fighting and all that kind of stuff. And the point is, it's just a narrative to move the parable forward. We're not to try to ascertain all of those particular details, for the particular details don't have a specific meaning. Number two. The wedding feast is like the wedding feast that is described in the book of Revelation. That is a common uh, nomenclature in the New Testament. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us rejoice and exalt and give glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. But notice again, there are elements in Revelation that are not in our particular parable. In Revelation, it's granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So again, if you read the book of Revelation, and there are white robes that are donned in the book of Revelation, but it's not consistent as to what those white robes represent. Some places in Revelation, the white robes represent the righteousness that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are clothed in his righteousness. We are made acceptable by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, the righteousness there is our own deeds. It is our own uh, works, if you will, that are found acceptable. Not in that they merit eternal life, but that they merit reward. That they they merit, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Uh, That our behaviors in this world matter in the uh, time to come. But again, that's not in our particular parable. So... My point to you tonight, among others, since this is a very short parable, is that when we we look at passages that contain similar ideas, 
one of the things we ought to do is look for the asymmetrical aspect of that particular passage. Okay? What is being advanced in the particular passage I'm looking at? Here is a, a normative theme. Here is something that is reoccurring in the New Testament. Well, why does it continually reoccur? I need to be looking for what is new in the particular passage that I am looking at. What distinguishes this passage from this other passage? In order to do that, I need to know the passage I'm in, and I need to know this other passage as well. That's why we read our Bibles through. That's why we we try to familiar ourselves with all of Scripture, but we're trying to look at what is unique to the particular portion of Scripture that we are in. Number three, the closed door is illustrative of being shut out of the kingdom of heaven. We are told that this parable is a parable of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins. It's a story telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the point of the story is that some people are going to be shut out of the kingdom of heaven. And some people are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is not universal salvation by any means. There are going to be people who enter and there are going to be people who don't enter. Again, a wrong use of the parable. We should not say to ourselves, well, five entered and five did not. Therefore, 50% of people are going to be born again. There's going to be an equal delineation of those that are going to be here. Is that true? No. In fact, we are told elsewhere in the scripture that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. There's going to be a remnant that are going to be saved. Remnant is the smaller portion of the, of the bolt of material. Okay, so I'm pointing out to you that it's very easy to abuse parables. We've got to stick with the main point. Four, the bridegroom saying that I don't know you disavowed any past or future relationship to the five foolish virgins. It isn't that they were saved and lost their salvation, nor was there any uh, offer or promise laid out to them for a future salvation, that somehow this door was going to be opened unto them. Now that's pushing the parable pretty far, but we know that that's a general truth that's in the word of God, uh, that there are no second chances. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Um, that's why it's so important that we are ready for the Lord's return. But we do have to work that in our theology somehow and uh, recognize that when the Lord returns, that closes the door, if you will, to salvation. That's why it's so essential to be prepared now. We can't just put off accepting the Lord saying, well, you know, I'll get around to that someday. I've been thinking about that. I know it's important. Well, you don't know when the Lord's going to return, and you also don't know when you're going to die. You could have an automobile accident, God forbid, going home tonight. 
and all of a sudden you're going to find yourself in the presence of God. And you're going to stand before your maker. You're going to stand before your judge. Uh, we need to be prepared now by knowing him. So this speaks of the judgment which is unequivocal and irreversible. It's clear. They're shut out. And no remedy. Number five. The main point of the lesson is that when the Lord returns, then comes judgment. It will be too late to make things right and be saved. Therefore, we are to be prepared, ready for the Lord's return. Short, sweet. I've got 20 minutes to my credit to be used at some time in the future. Okay, so thank you all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your, your goodness and grace to us. We thank you for the hope that is ours in the person of the Lord Jesus. We are grateful that through his death and resurrection in our behalf that we can experience the forgiveness of sins and know peace with God. We are grateful, O oh God, that we can have full assurance that when the Lord returns that we have uh, an entrance into your kingdom if we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in a saving manner. So, O oh God, work in our hearts and minds. We think again of day camp and children who are going to be coming under the sound of the gospel. We ask, O oh God, that you'd be pleased uh, to open their hearts and minds to understand, respond to that truth, and be ready for the Lord's return or their entrance into his presence. O oh God, we thank you for your word and for the opportunity we have to study it. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to go with joy, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.